0: Now, Paul probably would have seen this happen many times, where a rabbi would get up and speak. And it's quite likely that they had made it known when they entered the synagogue that Paul was a rabbi. This, of course, opened the door for him to speak. And Paul walked right through it. Verse 16 says, So Paul stood up, lifted his hand to quiet them, and started speaking. Men of Israel, he said, and you God-fearing Gentiles listen to me. Paul begins his address, or or I should say his sermon, first by addressing his listeners. First the fellow Jews, and then the Gentiles. The latter, of course, revered God, but they hadn't fully converted to Judaism, nor were they Christians. And with this introduction of listen to me, Paul launches in to what is known to us as his first recorded sermon. Now, it wasn't his first sermon. Remember, he had gone all around. He had even preached in Antioch of Syria. But this is the first one that's actually recorded for us. And he begins his sermon with recounting history. Picking it back up with verse 17, we read, The God of this nation of Israel chose their ancestors and made them multiply and grow strong during their stay in Egypt. Then, with a powerful arm, he led them out of their slavery. He put up with them through 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Then he destroyed seven nations in Canaan and gave their land to Israel as an inheritance. All of this took about 450 years. After that, God gave them judges to rule until the time of Samuel the prophet. Now, Paul didn't just give them a history lesson for the history sake. He was giving them an actual lesson from history. You see, the Jews would have heard these historical accounts many, many times. But Paul presented it from the angle of what God did. God chose the ancestors. God made them multiply and grow. And I love that, Paul po- that it's been pointed out that Paul didn't call it a time of captivity in Egypt. He called it their stay. But it sure wasn't like a stay at a holiday inn or anything like that. But the use of this word indicates that God was actively involved in it. And when God said it was time for them to go, he let them out of their slavery. God put up with them for 40 years in the wilderness. God destroyed the seven nations. God gave the land to Israel. God gave them judges. And what a great illustration of the truth found in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9, from the New Century Version. It says, people may make their plans in their minds, but the Lord decides what they will do. God was in control. You know, I'll never forget my professor for my theology classes at North Central University. Dr. Shaka, that was his name. Dr. Shaka was from Sierra Leone, And he had this deep, deep accent. And he would throw out questions to the class to get us wrestling about theological ideas and truths. And and he would ask, I remember that one day, he he, he asked the question, so in light of God's sovereignty, does that mean that we're all just puppets on a string and he's just playing with us? (laughs) Of course, the answer is no. God isn't just got us all on strings we have free will, right? But yet God is sovereign. You understand there's the tension in those truths. You know, it's okay that there are tensions in theological truths. But I remember how he would play with our minds a little bit to get us to really think and to really wrestle with that. But God had worked in the history of Jewish people. Of course, we know God has worked through all of history. But Paul recounted for them God's dealings with their ancestors. The stay in Egypt, the exodus, the 40-year wilderness, the conquest, the possession of the promised land in the period of Judges. They would have heard these things many times. But Paul met the people at their point of understanding. We're going to see later in our study that Paul will do the similar thing with the Greek philosophers in Athens. He didn't start with their history. He started with creation. Because that's where he would have been able to connect with them and meet them right where they were at. It was the same message that he delivered. It was just a different approach. Different backgrounds, but the same message. Jesus is the one who God promised to send. You know, I think it's a good lesson for us. That when we share the good news of Jesus with others, we need to start at the point of that person's understanding. That likely means that we have to actually listen to the person. Understand where they're coming from. What their history is. What their background is. We might take a different approach depending on the person's history. But it's going to be the same message. The good news of Jesus Christ. I think it's also really powerful on a a believer's note, that we can look back at the history of what God has done. Yes, through all of humanity by reading the scriptures to get us started. But even to realize and remember that he's still working, even in our nation at this time where things just seem so crazy. Or even in our state where things seem so crazy. And maybe even in your own life where things maybe seem so crazy. God is still Working. And so when we stop and we look in the rearview mirror of what He has already done, whether it be in the history of humanity or our nation or our state or even in our own lives, we can be encouraged. God is involved. Paul transitions into his second section here in his message. He's still recounting God's dealing with His people briefly touching on the monarchy of Saul and then David. Verses 21 and 22 say, Then the people begged for a king, and God gave them Saul, son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, who reigned for forty years. But God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Again, the people would have heard this before. They would have understood this. So why continue with this history lesson? Well, because it was an easy step to go from David to Jesus. And that's exactly where Paul goes next. Continuing with verse 23, he says, And it is one of King David's descendants, Jesus, who is God's promised Savior of Israel. Before he came, John the Baptist preached that all the people of Israel needed to repent of their sin and turn to God and be baptized. As John was finishing his ministry, he asked, Do you think I am the Messiah? No, I am not. But he he is coming soon, and I am not even worthy to be his slave and untie the sandals on his feet. Brothers, you sons of Abraham and also you God-fearing Gentiles, this message of salvation has been sent to us. the people of in Jerusalem and their leaders did not recognize Jesus as the one the prophets had been spoke, had spoken about. Instead, they condemned him, and in doing this, they fulfilled the prophet's words that are read every Sabbath. Paul points out that even though he is recounting what would have been considered Jewish history, this message is for everyone. He included those Gentile God-fearers in this message. The message of salvation has been sent to us. But Paul points out that the people in Jerusalem didn't recognize Jesus. They had literally saw Jesus physically. They saw the miracles he did. They listened to his authoritative teachings, unmatchable wisdom, Yet they didn't recognize him as the fulfillment of God's promise. Their pride had blinded them, and they didn't recognize Jesus. They knew what the prophets had said. Remember, they would hear a prophetic word from the prophets every single Sabbath. But their pride had made them deaf to the scriptures, and they didn't recognize Jesus. How many today would call themselves religious, like the Jews in Jerusalem, go to church regularly, have heard the word, maybe even have read the word for themselves, but their pride keeps them from recognizing Jesus for who he truly is, the risen Lord. I better let Paul finish his sermon here. Verses 28 through 31. They found no legal reason to execute him, but they asked Pilate to have him killed anyway. When they had done all that the prophecies said about him, they took him down from the cross and placed him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And over a period of many days, he appeared to those who had gone with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to the people of Israel. You see, these were real events that happened under the watchful eye and through the power of the Almighty Sovereign God, who fulfilling his perfect plan, which was foretold throughout the Old Testament and heralded by John the Baptist, God raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus had appeared to those who had gone with him from Galilee to Jerusalem Paul later wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that more than 500 people saw the resurrected Christ at the same time. 500 people. So it's pretty obvious that no rational person is going to say that 500 people would have the same hallucination all at the same time. These events were not a figment of someone's imagination. The Messiah had come. The redeemer and savior of the world is Jesus Christ. You see, Paul was invited to come and share a word of encouragement. Well, the great or the good news is great encouragement because it is our salvation when we believe. Well, Paul is about to wrap up his sermon, but first he offers a few verses from the Psalms of David to support the verification that Jesus was the fulfillment of these prophecies. Starting off with verse 32, he said, And now we are here to bring you this good news. The promise was made to our ancestors, and God has now fulfilled it for us, their descendants, by raising Jesus. This is what the second psalm says about Jesus. You are my son. Today I have become your father. For God had promised to raise him from the dead, not leaving him to rot in the grave. He said, I will give you the sacred blessings I promised to David. Another psalm explains it more fully. You will not allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. This is not a reference to David. For after David had done the will of God in his own generation, he died and was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. No, it was a reference to someone else. Someone who God raised and whose body did not decay. God said it would happen, and it happened. The promise of the Messiah was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Facts have been stated, prophecy fulfilled. Now Paul delivers the appeal. Verse 38 and 39, Brothers, listen. We are here to proclaim that through this man, Jesus, there is forgiveness for your sins. Everyone who believes in him is made right in God's sight, something the law of Moses could never do. Paul knew full well as he spoke this sermon that he would challenge the thinking of his listeners, especially the Jews. They had been taught all their lives to follow the law, but the law was never intended to provide the permanent solution for sin. The blood of animals sacrificed was temporary. The law was to point out their sinfulness and their desperate need of a Savior. Matthew Henry's concise commentary states it this way. It says, It is by Christ only that those who believe in him and none else are justified from all things, from all guilt and stain of sin, from which they could not be justified by the law of Moses. By Jesus Christ, we, are a, we obtain a complete justification. For by him, a complete atonement was made for sin. What the law could not do, the gospel of Christ does. The good news about Jesus Christ still challenges many thinkings today. There are still people in bondage to their beliefs. There are still people who are in bondage to the belief that it's about going to church, being a member, giving in the offering and serving. Those are good things to do. But but it is only through believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection, that we are made right in God's sight. Others are in bondage of believing that it's about being a good person. By all means, be a good person. But being a good person isn't the way to salvation. Salvation is found in no one or nothing else but Jesus Christ. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It is only through Jesus Christ. It's not by following rules and regulations. It's not on your own strength and being a good person. Only through Christ. This is the message that we get to share with the world. We get to give them the answer. Jesus. Paul then appealed to his listeners to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But he also warned them. Verse 40 and 41. He said, be careful. Don't let the prophet's words apply to you. For they said, look, you mockers, be amazed and die. For I am doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe even if someone told you about it. Now, Paul wasn't being judgmental here by using the words of the prophet Habakkuk. He earnestly wanted his listeners to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He wanted them to believe and be saved, not be disbelieving and perish. You know, I can guarantee that. Paul gave the leader of the synagogue a whole lot more than he bargained for. It was anticipated that Paul would give a word of encouragement. And honestly, even though the gospel message can be convicting, there is no greater encouragement. God is faithful, and Jesus Christ is risen. God is faithful. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, Paul wrote this. He said, God is faithful, and I'm reading it from the the Amplified version. God is faithful. He is reliable, trustworthy, and ever true to his promise. He can be depended on. And through him, you were called into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. God is dependable. He is faithful. He is faithful. Last two verses, and then I'm going to close. Verses 42 and 43. As Paul and Barnabas left the synagogue that day, the people begged them to speak about these things again the next week. Many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, and the two men urged them to continue to rely on the grace of God. That was really good wisdom that Paul and Barnabas gave those that were beginning to follow them to continue to rely on the grace of God because there are going to be challenges coming up next week that are going to potentially waver or have some of those that were starting to follow them waver in their understandings of what Paul had just said but the truth of the matter is is we too need to make sure that we continue to rely on the grace of God that we never start thinking that it's about what we do, even as believers. It is only by God's grace that we are saved. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for your word. Lord, it is powerful. And Lord, it is always applicable to our lives. And Lord, it's challenging to us to know that we are called to carry on This message that Paul and Barnabas were spreading in this first missionary journey that's recorded for us. Lord, help us to meet people right where they're at. But Lord, also help us to remember our own history of how you have worked and moved uh, in our lives as well as throughout the course of time so that we are not discouraged at times where it seems like our world is so crazy. Lord, you have always been faithful. Help us to remember by what you have done in the past that you're still in control. You are still the same God. And that you have entrusted us with this precious, encouraging message. The good news that Jesus Christ came, completed all that he needed to do, died on the cross, but rose again. Defeating death and opening the door to eternal life. Lord, we thank you that we are bearers of this good news, that we get to carry this good news. Lord, help us to do so boldly. And Lord, help us to continue to rely on your grace, not our own works. Should we do good works? Yes. But we never take credit for it. All glory goes to you. Because, Lord, it is only in your strength that we can do it. And so, Lord, we thank you. Lord, help us to live this out and bring you glory and honor. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.